And uh, let's, uh, in uh, the rest of us, turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Genesis. And uh, we'll read chapter 1 and verse 26 um, and 27. And then we'll go on and we'll go into chapter 2. Um, so Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and uh, then if we go down to um, to chapter 2 and uh, we'll read um, uh, uh, from verse 4 these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the, lay, in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food and the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold in that land is good. Bedellium and onyx st uh, stone are there. The name of the second is Gihon the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is Tigris, which is flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God put the man, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the, wife, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, let's come to God now and pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for this opportunity that we have now to consider your word. Thank you that your word is true. And we thank you that in your word we have a solid foundation for our thinking and for our living. Lord, please would you help me this morning to teach your word well faithfully and in the power of the Holy Spirit and Lord we pray that you will speak to us all we pray that you will instruct us but we also pray that you will speak to our consciences and Lord if there's anything that we need to change in the way that we think or in the way that we live we pray that you will speak to us and we pray that you'll bring about those changes. So please help us, we pray, and move among us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we continue this morning in our studies in Genesis chapter 1. And... This morning, I want to, us to think about, or focus our thoughts on the phrase which we have in the second half of verse 27 of chapter 1 of Genesis, where God's word says, male and female, he created them. And so we learn from this verse that when God made man, he made man male and female. Man consists of two genders, 
male and female. That's how God has created us. And as I hope to show you this morning, God made man and woman different from each other, complementary to each other, but different from each other, with different roles. And that God has ordained that men should lead in the family and in the church, and that women should submit to men in the family and in the church. Now, I need hardly say that this teaching of Scripture is in direct conflict with what many are saying today. Uh, in the last hundred years or so, and particularly picked up in the last 50 or 60 years, there has been a movement which would be described as feminism. And there are many good features about feminism, it must be said. And uh, quite rightly, the way that women have been wrongly treated has been highlighted and corrected to some extent through that movement. But some feminists, not all, some feminists have said that women are virtually indistinguishable from men in terms of their ability and gifting, uh, apart from the obvious difference that, women, that, that men cannot, at the moment at least, bear children. And so they have said that uh, women, if their personalities suit it, should be able to be the leaders in the family, and women should also be able to be leaders in the church. And then, in more recent times, there's been another movement which has come forward, which, which would be called the transgender movement. And some in this movement have taught that gender is merely a social construct. They would acknowledge, most of them, that there is such a thing as physical sex, but they would make a distinction between a person's physical sex, which they would, in most, acknowledge cannot be changed, and the person's gender. And they, they would say that you can have a different gender from the body, the physical body in which you are living. And they would say that a person can declare himself to be a different gender from the one that he was born. And they would say, some would say that if a person declares himself to be a, a different gender, then those around him must, must uh, acknowledge that different gender that that person claims for himself and must, must, must 
use appropriate pronouns for that gender that he has declared for himself. So if a man declares himself to be a woman, then those around him must use his new female name and must re refer to that, that man as her. And if those around him do not use his preferred pronoun, then people are accused of transphobia and hate speech. Now, of course, what has happened is that the, the feminists, many feminists have found themselves in conflict with uh, those in the, trans, in, in the transgender movement because feminists are saying, um, whoa, there are differences between men and women. And if you try to compete against a man in sport, for example, a woman's got no chance. Uh, and um, if a man identifies himself as a woman and then can go into women-only spaces, the women are going to be in danger. And so there's been a conflict emerging between some feminists and some in the transgender movement. But Christians find themselves at odds with both in, in, in some instances. Um, some feminists would accuse Christians of being anti-women and would say that, uh, that a, a Christian who holds to biblical teaching about, about the role of, of women in church and in the family are anti-women and sexist. On the other hand, uh, some transgender activists would accuse Christians of being transphobic because a Christian who holds to the Bible will say that a man who claims to be a woman uh, is not a woman. He remains a man. He might call himself a woman. He might wear women's clothing. But he's not a woman. He's a man. And a Christian will not be able to acknowledge, who's consistent with scripture, will not be able to acknowledge this person as a woman. And uh, he may well find himself, therefore, getting into deep trouble at work. Now, we cannot avoid this issue, can we, as Christians, living as we are in the 21st century? Uh, many of you, I'm sure, will have already received training at work about how you are to be inclusive, quotes, inclusive, and how you must use people's preferred pronouns. It may well be that you have been or you will be soon given a contract of employment where you'll be required to sign, if you're going to keep your job, that you will use people's preferred pronouns.
And you're going to have a question mark. Am I going to sign or am I going to have to resign my job? It may well be that you might be brought up before a disciplinary panel for having failed to be, quotes, inclusive. Many of us will have children or grandchildren who will be told, even when they're very young in primary school, that you can have a gender that's different from your biological gender. And you can change your biological gender. And these children will be told about peers in their classrooms who do decide that they are a different gender from what they really are, who say claim to be a different gender from what they really are. Oh, yes, you must refer to this person with the pronoun that that he or she demands that is used. And if you don't, you're being cruel. You're being transphobic. So you've got young children being accused of being transphobic because they think it's very strange that someone they've always thought of as a boy is now apparently a girl. And we wonder where is the child abuse going on? Who is actually being abused here? Is it the, the young boy who's claiming to be a girl, or is it the child who's saying, what, what do you mean he's a boy? What do you mean that boy is a girl? And, and then the, that child is, is, is reprimanded. Where's, where's the child abuse? Where is the child abuse today when children are being indoctrinated that there is a different gender. Children are being persuaded to, to, uh, to, to think it's, that there's something wrong with their body. Children are being uh, put forward for puberty blockers which are completely untested and can have all sorts of terrible effect upon their lives. Where is the child abuse going on? It's right before our noses, isn't it, in these situations? And yet it's, it's, it's not being checked at all. There was a scandal, of course, um, at, uh, at, at that clinic in central London, and, and apparently it was all supposed to stop, but then uh, I understand that the use of puberty blockers is now double what it was when the Tavistock Clinic was closed. Uh, these are terrible times that we're living in, and very sad times. And uh, of all the people that we should feel most pity for are those children and adults who've been sold the lie that they can change their gender. Many, many lives have been ruined. And some of us have met personally people who were told, well, yes, you can, you can have all you want in terms of hormone treatment, surgery, everything else. And they've, they've had it all. And then they've woken up and they realize they've been deceived. And, and they, they haven't found that peace and that satisfaction that they were longing for. Now, for us as Christians... 
this may well be, we don't know, we can't predict the future, but this may well be the point of persecution for, for Christians in our generation. Now, in every generation, you'll find a different touchstone that is the point of persecution. So, in the first generation of Christians, the touchstone was that they were told, you must say, Jesus is Lord. And Christians who are faithful to scriptures, sorry, you must say Caesar is Lord. Excuse me. You must say Caesar is Lord. And Christians who are faithful to scriptures say, no, I can't do that. Jesus is Lord. And so because they said it's not true to say Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so those, some of those who would not say Caesar is Lord were fed to the lions in the amphitheatres. And then um, in, the, in the early 16th century, the issue was different. The issue was Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic religion was dominant at the time. And the Roman Catholic religion said, you must say that when, you must acknowledge that when the priest says a prayer over the bread and the wine, the bread changes, it goes through a transubstantiation, changes to become the body of Christ. And the wine changes to become the blood of Christ. And Bible-believing Christians who were starting to read their Bible from about 1520s on and started to understand the gospel said, no, I can't do that. The bread is just bread and the wine is just wine. It's symbolic of, 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 the, blood, of the body and blood of Christ, but I can't say that it's changed. And because of that, because they could not say it's become the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, Bible-believing Christians were burned alive. And if you go to Stratford and you look at the monument outside the church in the, in the island of the road, and you'll see what was the reason why men and women and boys and girls were burned alive. Reason? Because they could not say, could not say those words. Yes, the bread has become the body of Christ. Now, the issue today is nobody's bothered about Caesar. Nobody's bothered about bread and wine, but they are very bothered about, will you say that a man who says he's a woman has become a woman? Will you say, yes, 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 she's a woman? Or will you say, as a Christian, I can't do that? He's still a man. He might say he's a woman, but he's not. He's a man. Will you do that? Or will you go along with the crowd? Will you do what everybody else says? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was a man, but she's now become a, a woman. The BBC will tell you that person used to be a man, is now a woman. The Daily Telegraph will tell you, conservative newspaper, that person used to be a man, is now a woman. In fact, I cannot find a news outlet which 
actually refers to people by their actual biological, what they really are. If you find one, let me know, because I don't know of one. Will you, as a Christian, stand? And will you say, will you be truthful and say, no, he, he, he was a man and he is a man. He always has been a man. And will you say about a woman who claims to be a man? No, she's a woman. That's what she is. Well, that's rather a long introduction, but I, I felt I should set the scene for what we're dealing with here in this morning. Now, what I want to do this morning is to try to bring out some, make some propositions which I think are clear from Scripture so that we know where we stand, we know what the Bible teaches. Because we, we've got to be clear on these things, because if we're not clear, we will just go with the flow. So let me just, uh, let me bring out some propositions from the, the verses we've read and from other scriptures as well. First of all, God made man male and female. Differences of gender go back to the way in which God has made us, right back at the beginning. Look at that verse we read, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then uh, chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. This is also repeated. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them. And then if we go on to the Gospels, in the New Testament, we find Jesus himself also says that God made man male and female. Uh, Genesis, Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And going back to Genesis, sorry, I know I'm taking around your Bible quite a lot, but going back to Genesis chapter 2, we see a, a description there. I won't read those verses again. But we see a description of the detail of how God made man and woman. How God first made Adam. And, uh, but, he, but there was something missing. Uh, he had no companion. He had no helper. And then he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And he took a rib out of the side of Adam. And from Adam's flesh, God formed a woman to be a help, a suitable helper for her, to be a companion uh, for him, to be a companion for Adam and to help him as Adam was to uh, have dominion over the earth. And God then presented uh, the woman to the man, and, and there are these words of delight, verse 23 of Genesis 2. This is last 
is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so we see here very clearly that, that man and woman goes back to creation. This is how God has made us. And it's very clear that there are only two genders. It's man, male, and female. And uh, it's also clear that the Bible knows nothing of a distinction between sex and gender. You can't put some sort of fictitious line between sex and gender. Say somebody can be of one sex physically, but at a different gender emotionally or mentally. There's no such thing. As far as God's word is concerned, you're either, you're either male or you're female. And that is very obvious from the moment a baby comes out of his mother's womb. Now the next thing I'd like, the next proposition I'd like to put to you is this, that to pretend to be anything other than the gender you are is something which God hates. Because it's a violation of God's order. And we see this from Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 24. Sorry, verse 25. Oh, sorry, I've got the, oh, I've got the wrong reference. got the words in front of me but I've got the wrong obviously the wrong reference I do apologise oh thank you yeah thank you very much David so Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 a woman shall not wear a man's garment nor shall a, wo a man put on a woman's cloak for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now that word there, abomination, is a very strong word. It, it talks about, it, it's used where God speaks about something that he absolutely hates. This is not a moral, this is not a ceremonial law where, you know, there's quite a few ceremonial laws in the scriptures where, you know, which, which are, which are talking about things which are of, of transitory significance, which, which, um, which pass away with the coming of Christ. You won't find the word abomination used about ceremonial laws. But you do find the word abomination used about things which are morally repugnant to God. Uh, it's the same word that's used about uh, human sacrifices. It's the same word that's used about uh, about idolatry. It's the same word that's used about um, the practice of homosexuality, uh, uh, about witchcraft, about 
child sacrifices, these things are hateful to God. And what this is saying is that for a woman to dress as a man and a man to dress as a woman is, is hateful to God. Why? Well, because it's an attack on the very way that God has made us. It's saying, well, I might be this, but I'm going to pretend to be that. That is very wrong, God says. Um, now, as I say, I, please don't think that I am here to slag off transgender people. I'm not, because I feel very sorry for them. I believe that they've been lied to and cheated by people. But it has to be said that this is what the Bible says. It is they've been drawn into something which is very wrong and, and, and hateful to God. Next thing I'd like to, to point us to is that both men and women are made in the image of God. Let's come back again to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. We were thinking last week about man made in the image of God. And I was saying that that image of God remains, albeit marred through sin, it still remains. And this means that every individual, however rich, however poor, however strong, however weak, whatever social background, whatever, whatever nationality, cultural background, every individual from the tiniest few cells of a baby in his mother's womb right the way through to a 99-year-old man who's got Alzheimer's and lying on his bed, hardly able to do anything for himself. Each one is of immense value in the sight of God. Now, what this verse tells us is that that dignity that is given to man applies to both men and women equally. I'll be speaking in a moment about the difference of role or difference of strength between men and women and the difference of role between men and women. And there are those differences. But what is really important to understand is that men and women equally are made in the image of God and are immensely valuable and immensely important. And this is where we do have to thank our feminist friends because they have asserted this, and rightly so. Um, they've gone wrong in some, some have gone wrong in some other areas, but they've rightly said, no, you can't treat women badly. You can't treat women as chattel or as objects. Women are women. They've 
perhaps not understood the basis for that, but they're valuable. Made in God's image. And uh, this is... um, And not only are women made in God's image, but also the scripture is very clear that women are, as well as men, were those for whom Christ died. The Lord's precious sheep. And women, as well as men, are saved from their sins. They are given eternal life. They are adopted as the children of God and made heirs of all the blessings of the new age. And so it's terrible for a, a, a woman to be ill-treated uh, by, by, by men or by, anybody, or by other women for that matter. I'm hoping on a future occasion to talk about the, what the Bible teaches about, about sex. And one thing which is really horrendous is at the present age is the widespread use of pornography. What is that? It is the objectification of women and treating them as just objects to satisfy lust without any concern for their personality or for their well-being. It's horrendous. And so many women are brought into pornography through lies and through deception, promised one thing and delivered something else. And their lives are ruined by being engaged in the so-called sex trade. It's a terrible thing. And it's men who are driving that abominable practice. And so, uh, yes, both men and women made an image of God and women should be treated with great dignity and respect. And this leads me to the fourth thing, which is this. The Bible does acknowledge that in some respects, in certain respects, women are indeed weaker than men. But that should lead to those women being treated with special care and special dignity. Now, you say that's a bit of a steep thing bit of a hard thing for me to swallow. Well, let me just point you to some scriptures which, which I think do tell us this. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 19 and uh, verse 16, uh, God says about how he's going to bring judgment upon Egypt And he says, in that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. There's an acknowledgement there that that, uh, often uh, women will be fearful. 
And it should hardly surprise us, therefore, that in most societies until um, uh, very recently, it was men who were enlisted for armies. Because men don't have the same sense of fear as women do. That's just a fact. It's, it's not being disparaging, but it's just simply the case that is, it is, that is observed in Scripture and observed in our societies. Peter also talks in, in, um, in 1 Peter and chapter, uh, chapter 3 about the woman as the weaker vessel. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. It's uh, interesting that one of the effects of the transgender movement, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that some feminists are starting to say, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. Men and women are different. Men are stronger than women. Uh, one such person is a lady called Louise Perry. She's written an interesting book, which is entitled The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. It's been, it's been talked about quite widely in the secular press, in magazines like The Spectator and The Telegraph and so on, newspapers. Secular book, she's not a Christian, she writes from an evolutionary perspective. But she argues in this book that the sexual revolution since the 1960s, she's a feminist, but she says the sexual revolution has been very bad for women. She takes issue with her feminist friends who, who say, oh no, it's, it's all great that women can just be liberated and just do what they like, free from the taboos. Of, of the Victorian era. She says, no, it's been a disaster. And she has a chapter in her book entitled, Men and Women Are Different. And she writes, amongst other things, she writes, here's a quotation, adult women are approximately half as strong in the upper body and two-thirds as strong as adult men in the lower body. On average, men can press bench, some, can bench press more weight than women by a factor of two and a half, and can punch harder by a similar factor. In hand grip strength, 90% of women produce less force than 95% of males. So there is this weakness that the scripture talks about and is observed by at least some in the world. But what should the effect of that be? Should the effect of that be that men treat women with contempt and look down on women and say, oh, what weaklings? No, far from it. It should mean that men say, there is someone who is fragile. 
Here's someone who's weak. She needs special care, special protection, special love. That verse I read just a moment ago from 1 Peter. Listen again what he says. Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Knowing what she is, knowing her weakness. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of, of life. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Look, here's somebody who's fragile. Who is weaker than you are. So treat with special care. She should be protected. You should show consideration. Now, there is a word which has become a dirty word in the mouths of some in our generation. It's the word chivalry. It comes from the French word cheval, which means horse. And it really is talking about a chivalrous person is, is going back to the medieval period, was a knight who rode a horse. Now, in the medieval period, men had no problem being men. And women had no problem being women. Women expected to be protected by their menfolk. And a knight would protect his wife with, a jealous, with great jealousy and would fight off, literally would fight off, any man who came any close to her. And, of course, there are various stories which are told about how a knight in shining armor will come to the rescue of a damsel in distress. And that's where this word chivalry comes from. Now people say, oh, that's a terrible thing, chivalry. But no, it's not. It's a wonderful thing. Because a chivalrous man shows politeness to women and respect to women. A chivalrous man will open the door for a woman and say, please go first. My grandmother drummed that into me. She said, Henry... Open the door. Go through. And then, you know, you're sitting in the, in, in, in the lounge. A woman comes in. Oh, you must get up. If a woman comes in, you must get up from your chair. And that was drummed into me. And quite rightly so. She was brought up in that generation where, you know, you, a man should show respect to a woman. A chivalrous man when a difficult neighbor comes to the front door with a complaint about the ball that's gone over the fence yet again, you'll say to his wife, don't worry, darling, I'll sort him out. Today, of course, the man says, you, off you go, you go and see him. No, but, the, but not, not, not how it should be. When the, school, when the, when the son is in school, trouble at school, uh, it's the, it's the man, the, chival, the, Christ, the, the man who, who should go, and, 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 if at all possible, and talk to the headmaster about the situation. If there's a dodgy or potentially dodgy salesman, it's the man who should, who should see that man. A Christian man should be unashamedly chivalrous. He should be a gentleman in the, in the proper sense of of the word. He should care for and protect his wife and any other women who are around and need 
his protection. So biblical Christianity says there is a difference between the genders. Women are weaker, but that shouldn't lead to contempt, but special care. I'm out of time, so I really can only just sketch for you very quickly my last point, which is that men and women do have different roles in the church and in the home. We've read earlier from Ephesians chapter 5, I won't read it again, uh, husbands or wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. There's a difference there, difference of role. And in the church, Paul is very clear that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that, that uh, women should not teach in the mixed congregation. Why? Because to teach in the mixed congregation would be for a woman to exercise authority over a man. She shouldn't do that. And he argues from creation. As we saw, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was the one who named the animals, showing he had authority over them. And Adam was the one who named Eve, showing he had authority over her. For a woman to teach in the church would be to upset the whole order of things in, in a mix, if she does so in a mixed congregation. So let me summarize for you five things that, that I've sought to show you today. First of all, God made man male and female. Secondly, for a man to pretend to be a woman or for a woman to pretend to be a man is forbidden by God. It's an abomination. Thirdly, men and women are equally made in the image of God. Women should be loved and honored and cherished just as much as men, if not more. Fourthly, women are weaker than men, both psychologically and physically, but should be treated by men with special protection and love because of that weakness. And fifthly, men and women have different roles in family and church because of those differences. Well, how can we apply this to ourselves? Well, first of all, we should be grateful to God for the gender that we have. If you are a man, be grateful that you're a man and be glad to be a man and fulfill your role as a man. If you're a woman, then be grateful to God that you're a woman and fulfill the role, the God-given role that God has given you. Don't, if you're a man, don't try to be a woman and don't pretend to be a woman. If you're a woman, don't try to be a man or pretend to be a man. If there should be somebody who listens to this, I don't know, there might, there might be possibly, if there is somebody who should listen to this, and you have started to go down that route of transgenderism, well, you do need to repent. You do need to acknowledge you've, you've been led down a, a blind alley by deceivers. Um, behind it is the devil, no doubt. The Bible says that 
behind false ideas, there are demons. And I have no doubt at all there are demons behind this transgender movement. You, d you do need to repent. And you might already have in your body the marks of, of the error that you've been pursuing. But there are things you can do quite quickly uh, if you've started to dress as a woman and you've grown your hair to long length. Well, you can cut your hair. You can start to put on male clothes um, and, and, and at least out, do what you can to, to, to be recognizably uh, male if, you've, if you're a man who's been uh, trying to act as a woman and vice versa if you're a woman who's been um, trying to act as a man. Clearly there's an application for those of us who are married. If you are a man and you're married, love your wife. Treat her with special care and dignity. And if you're a woman, submit to your husband as Christ should to the church. And for all of us, we all need to treat one another with love and kindness and gentleness and with respect. I would say, you might disagree with me, but I would say you do need to be honest with people about their gender. You're not going to do anybody any good if, suppose you've got a boy at school and he says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a girl. You're not going to help that boy if you say that, 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 say to him, oh yes, yes, you are a girl. Yeah, quite right. No, that's not going to help him at all. It's not like going to be loving. You might be called transgender, transphobic, I mean, but it's not going to, it's not going to be loving to do. And same with an adult. It's just not going to be loving. Um, it's not going to help him. It's not going to help society. It's not going to help anybody. You're just going to be telling a lie. And so I would urge you, I know for some of you this could be very costly in your, in your job, if you're a doctor or a nurse or a school teacher particularly, but even if you're in business, you know, there are banks, aren't there, who require their staff to wear you know, identification tags, you know, oh, I'm, call, me, call me male or call me him. You know. And they're required to say madam to somebody who obviously is a woman. Obviously, obviously is a man, is pretending to be, to, be, to be a woman. Oh, yes, madam. But I would urge you, don't do that. Don't go down that route. Because it's, it's, it's not loving, it's not honoring to God. It's not truthful, it's telling a lie. And this leads to the next point of application is that we must be ready for suffering. It's coming. It looks like it's, I can't, you know, maybe massive revival, maybe suddenly everything will change. Maybe this transgender thing will suddenly become totally unfashionable. It may happen. These things do happen. But the way things are going, we've got to be ready for suffering as Christians. And that needs to be part of what we're we we are we are prepared for, and as a church, you know we we could easily, after this sermon, our whole YouTube channel might suddenly disappear. Uh, 
we might have great difficulty getting charitable status. Um, these things may happen, but we've just got to be ready for whatever suffering comes our way and look to God for his grace and for his help. And I would say, if you're not yet a Christian, come to Christ. Yes, it might involve suffering, but you will know a satisfaction and a joy and a peace which you cannot know any other way. Well, um, thank you for your patience, and uh, let's now sing a hymn about the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ, 396, which is where we started our service. From heaven you came, helpless babe, and let us pray that God will help us to show Christ-like servant attitude towards those who... Uh, who um,